Hey there. A quick warning before we start. Today's episode touches on academic bullying and abuse. Please be mindful if you continue to listen and reach out for support if you need it. Today we travel to India to meet Dr. Kartik Ayer, a postdoc in electromicrobiology at the Indian Institute of Technology in Delhi. He works on electrochemically active bacteria. During our discussion, Kartik opened up about the impact a poor faculty relationship during his PhD had on his mental health. He was good in his field, no doubt about it, but some aspects of his behavior were really bothering me. He used to dominate a lot. If I came up with some idea that I expressed, sometimes he would just not encourage me or he would just dismiss it. And the worst thing was my feedback didn't count for anything. Whenever I gave any feedback, it was just dismissed. And he used to speak in a very disparaging tone, which was actually getting on my nerves. But somehow I just put up with it. And things came to a head one day when I just tried to explain to him that we can have a better relationship, that we can actually uh, sit and discuss in a better way as to how we want our mentoring relationship to move forward. And uh, for some reason, he got extremely angry and he was just yelling at me at the top of his voice. And that was very shocking for me. Also, I can't believe we made it to episode 20. That's pretty crazy. Thank you for being here. I kind of poured my heart out at the beginning of episode 19, acknowledging how difficult it is for me to value my own work and what it's worth. If you heard that, you'll know that the podcast now has a donations page. Thank you to Dr. Zoe Ayers for being our first contributor. I'll personally acknowledge support as the first episode of every month. This will never be a paid podcast. It's too important to me that it's accessible. But if you find value in these episodes, have some spare change, and feel like you'd like to contribute to running costs, I'd sincerely appreciate you buying me a coffee. Support the podcast at buymeacoffee.com forward slash VOA podcast. After all, I'm a PhD student on a budget, producing a podcast on the side. Welcome to Voices of Academia with Emily King. It's a podcast where researchers from around the world open up about their mental health. They might laugh, cry, or say things you disagree with, but this is lived experience, not professional advice. We cover some sensitive material, but it's worth it to normalize difficult conversations, reduce stigma, and help people feel less alone. Let's get into it. Hi, Kartik. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Emily. I'm really glad to be here. I'm so happy to have you here. <laughs> so we actually met because you were one of the first people to come forward and indicate your interest in being on the podcast back when Voices of Academia announced that we were going to launch this way back in October of 2020. Um, so I'm just finally working through the backlog of all the amazing researchers that have you know, indicated their willingness to come forward and speak up about their own experience. So thank you for your patience. <laughs> and 
Also, I know you've written a blog post previously for Voices of Academia. So for the listeners, uh, Kartik wrote a blog post about empowering early career researchers and improving culture in academia. It was published back in April of this year, so April 2021. And I'll put a link in the episode description, but as a quick sort of summary, he wrote about some of the challenges of the research process, why early career researchers feel overwhelmed, and included a reference to bullying culture within academia. And he also wrote about some of the potential solutions to alleviating some of these problems within our industry. And and he touched on some of his personal experience, which uh, it's it's so brave that you know, people are choosing to speak out about some of these issues. I'm, I'm very fortunate that I've personally never, you know, directly experienced bullying within academia, but I'm well aware that it happens and, and that I am very fortunate that this hasn't happened to me. And, and I think it's so important to, to speak out, you know, if you feel comfortable, obviously. So Kartik uh, wrote about how bullying can be quite difficult to address and it can lead to mental ill health and reduced productivity, which can then, you know, if people that are impacted by that progress within the academic structure can then propagate that same behavior again to people that they end up managing and it can kind of just end up being this negative cycle, Um, which when I was reading through that, just before this interview while I was doing my preparation and just, I just, it's just heartbreaking to, to think that that happens and, you know, that it is difficult to address and that it does become this cycle. So, you know, I I think it's, it's a really important topic to discuss and I'm really grateful to you, Kartik, for coming forward and being willing to talk about some of this today. Thanks a lot for the wonderful introduction. I actually came to know about this program through social media. I had just about no clue that such a platform even exists where researchers can come forward, share their stories and actually try to not just share their experiences, but also suggest ways and uh, practical measures of improving the culture in academia. It makes sense to have such a platform. It takes a lot of courage to even start implementing something like this. And I've seen the impact it has had over people. And I feel this is one of the most widely followed blogs, at least in academia. (laughs) So hats off to you, to Zoe and Marisa and the rest of your team. And thanks for having me here. Oh, you just gave me goosebumps again. Stop doing that. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, I think it is really important that it's not just about lived experiences, but also how we can shift the culture. And I'm hoping that with more and more of these stories and suggestions for solutions coming forward, we will be able to, you know, slowly but surely shift some of the culture and implement some of these changes in combination with some of the other really amazing mental health advocacy, you know, Twitter feeds and organizations that are out there Mm -hmm. as well. There's a big community of us, I think, now within academic mental health. And I think it's growing day by day, which is is really promising and, and quite exciting. Yes, I've actually been following the blog I actually read every single blog, which is published every week. Wow. And wow. I'm actually blown over by the response, by the suggestions, by the experiences and the uh, impact that early career researchers can actually have. 
they have come up with quite a few brilliant suggestions which if implemented can definitely change the culture and make it a better place so i really think such a platform is important to have thanks kartik so today it'll be a little bit of a follow up to that piece but we'll speak about you know some different aspects as well but with a focus on speaking about relationships within the academic faculty and how they can impact mental health. So Kartik, I, I like to start now by sort of asking guests why it is that they would like to share their story, because as you indicated, you know, it does take a lot of courage to come forward. And I think everyone has their different reasons. So what's yours? I would like to start my story a little more way back than graduate school, uh, when I actually, uh, I was doing my bachelor's program, I was a good student and I had no difficulty or no problems with anyone, with people, with my studies, and it was going well. In master's, the level improves and there's a lot more work. However, I saw that there are some aspects in academia, especially in research, that could be done better. Uh, I observed that master's students were not really given that much of importance. And uh, somehow the culture within academia gives a lot of importance to the metrics, to the publications, to grants and all these things. But they actually don't care about people. And this feeling only increased as I moved on to PhD. And PhD is such a huge thing. There are just so many things that are going on. It's a totally new experience by itself. It's a very challenging degree to say the least, even for the most talented individuals. However, from what I have observed, academia doesn't really bother a lot about the welfare of its individuals. The main assets in academia are the people, not the instruments, not the labs, not the metrics or not anything else. Every effort should be put in to ensure that these people are able to perform their best, are able to be happy, are able to feel safe and are able to do their best. That is the main purpose of academia, not to publish paper or not to just secure grants. Of course, that is important. That is part of the job. But the main thing is good mentorship, empowering the early career researchers so that they can do well. And this is where real science happens. I've seen a lot of professors who are good scientists, but are not good mentors. There's a lot of difference being being a good scientist and being a good mentor. To be a good scientist, you just need to know your subject well, to think well, which many people can do. But to actually care about people, to give a, to, to maintain a healthy relationship with your mentees, to learn from them, to empower them, to actually care and support for them, that takes training and that is lacking in academia. Whenever any professor is hired, they only uh, look at the, the his research work and those sort of things. They're not really looking into the mentorship abilities that he has or any training that he has in these sort of areas. And this actually has a lot of impact. There are quite a few good mentors out there who are doing their best to their students. But... Again, that's a personal kind of thing. It's not generalized or anything. There's no formal training in place in many places. And slowly people are realizing that that needs to change. Yeah, and I absolutely agree with you in terms of 
academia being not really being people focused. And it's something that really frustrates me because as you said, you know, like we're the ones that actually do the work. So it would make, you know, and academia is so focused on productivity, but people are so important to productivity. So if there was some shifts to actually look after us a little bit better, look after our well-being, you know, (laughs) how do we stay motivated? How does each individual stay motivated and how can you harness that? Yes. It would just have such a huge positive impact on academic well-being, you know, reducing stress levels and actually having the benefit of increasing productivity as well. So yeah. it's just to me it's just a no-brainer. It's a huge 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 problem though and there are issues at many 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 levels. So and as some people have acknowledged academia weirdly moves very slowly in terms of change. So it is going to take time. But yeah, I absolutely agree with you on that point. And mentors is something I also feel really strongly about, but we'll touch on that a little bit more in the next episode when we talk about some of the support systems that you've found and also some of the suggestions that you have for sort of improving academic culture. So I guess, you know, my question was kind of more aimed at why is this so important to you? Like, why do you want to come forward and why do you want to share your experiences and your opinions on this with the rest of the academic world? Yes. So coming to my experience, uh, I have experienced everything in academia, good mentorship, bad mentorship, good policies, bad policies, bullying. I've suffered a bit of abuse, which was uh, shocking at that time, but I didn't really know how to deal with it, how to cope with it, or how to even report it. And I just sort of, at one point of time, I was just, I had no clue what to do. I was just constantly sad. And I was very afraid to even speak out to other people, to my, even to my friends. And I just sort of suffered silently, which in hindsight is very bad. But at that point of time, I had, just no clue how to deal with it. But now that I'm in a relatively better place, I know what kind of impact bullying can have in academia, especially when you lack the power, especially when you are dependent on the people for your contract or for your stipend. So you just sort of, many people sort of just put up with it. They put on a brave face, but internally they are devastated. And having experienced something like this, I feel uh, it's very important for me to share my story so that we at least know what what are the options available to us and what can be done. Yeah, and, and thank you again for being willing to come forward, particularly at this time when we are also living through a global pandemic, uh, which which I'll ask you about briefly in a minute. But just a bit of a social media shout out. So if anything you sort of talk about today resonates with any of our listeners, where can they find you online? So uh, they can. Uh, I'm available on Twitter. So they can follow me on Twitter. I don't really use other social media platforms, but I'm quite active on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, it's too overwhelming if you try to keep up with all of them. Yeah. <laughs> So Kartik's Twitter handle is at Kartik's Air, uh, and I'll put a link to that in the episode description. And he also writes a science blog. So if you'd like to follow some more of his writing on there, you can access that at kartikpsychom.blogspot.com forward slash. And again, I'll put a link in the episode description. 
So, um, Kartik, I know, you know, we're sort of a little bit further into this interview, I guess, than uh, we would normally be when I ask this question. But I'm interested, you know, in you outside of academia as well. And I think for our listeners to get to know you a little bit too. So how do you like to spend your days off? Oh, I have a lot of interests outside of academia, thankfully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am actually a runner. So I run this sort of half marathons and oh, I'm wow. preparing to run a marathon, which is very difficult. <gasps> Congratulations. Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I've never really done it, but I'm planning to. Mm-hmm. So that actually motivates me not to give up on a goal, to put consistent efforts towards the goal. And I, that actually it's a stress buster. The joy that you get from just running in the morning and experiencing that runner's high. Uh, mm. That is one thing which has actually helped me to uh, get back on track uh, when I was going through a bad patch. And even otherwise, it's a wonderful thing just to uh, maintain your fitness. Uh, I also ro- love to read books, not only science books, but also fiction and other literature. I'm part of many book clubs where we just share whatever books we have read and which uh, inspired us. And I just love to get my hands on just about any book that I can and just read it. So reading is one major thing that I have. During the pandemic, of course, it was not easy to always pursue the hobbies. But in general, I love to, I'm a sports fan. I love to follow up with sports. I love to read and that's my major interests. I love it. And yeah, it's so important to have, you know, something else outside of academia that keeps us yeah. going. And it's such a great point, you know, what you said about running and that sort of helping teach you how to set a goal and to reach a goal and to feel what it feels like to achieve that. I think, um, you know, my partner loves sport as well. And he always oh. talks about the lessons that he's learned from sport. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, I do too, but the first thing that comes to mind for me is actually puzzles because when I'm doing a puzzle, it reminds me that I can't work on every single part of a project at the same time. I kind of have to, you know, put certain colors in certain areas and I'll come back to them later. And then I work on one piece at a time. Uh, And then, you know, if I'm working on one part at a time, eventually that accumulates and I finally finish the whole puzzle. And every time I do one, it just, it just kind of puts the PhD experience in perspective for me. And I actually carry that knowledge back to the way that I approach my research projects. Correct. And actually taking a break actually helps. If you're focusing too much on the puzzle and you're not getting any answers, you just take a short break and get back. You suddenly get a new perspective. Sometimes you can just solve it. And that's similar in academia as well. (laughs) Yeah. So many life lessons from our hobbies. So (laughs) listeners, do your hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> the other question I had was, so so you said you're a postdoc in electromicrobiology and you're working on electrochemically active bacteria. So I majored in microbiology in my undergrad, but I've never heard of electromicrobiology. Could you explain what, what that is? Oh, yes. So uh, there are certain bacteria that are capable of generating electricity. The magnitude of electricity is small, but uh, they are capable of generating electricity and uh, they can actually respire on solid electrodes. So it's a kind of a 
a fuel cell but with microbes in it it's a biological fuel cell or a microbial fuel cell where we use certain electrical electrochemically active bacteria and after oxidation of particular substrate let us say glucose or acetate or any commonly available fuel they generate electrons and pass on these electrons to an electrode to generate electricity so it's sort of a battery but it's a bio battery okay and what's the benefit to the bacteria to do that does that provide energy for their processes the the bacteria employ this process called extracellular electron transfer to generate electricity we breathe oxygen for generation of energy but the bacteria are anaerobic so instead of passing the electrons to oxygen they use an electrode and transfer the electrons to electrode to generate current so the main applications of this field are wastewater treatment combined with electricity generation bioremediation of metal contaminants biosensing and electrosynthesis wow so interesting i learned so much about different fields of science doing this podcast <laughs> <laughs> and our listeners do too yeah <laughs> thank you so what drew you to that type of research kartik uh actually when uh, i had no clue about this topic and one of my friends introduced me to this and i was actually blown over that bacteria actually do something like this and i decided to take up this field during my phd and though my uh, research supervisor was not exactly in the same field i don't know it was either a very brave or it was i think a very foolish decision to just move forward without uh, any uh, just to just jump right into it but i'm happy that i did that and i was very excited i do not masters level people are just excited to just do something and uh, i just chose a supervisor who was ready to take me at that point of time and it has been a good journey after that i'm glad for you <laughs> so we will shift gears now katik yeah. so a little bit more into sort of some of your mental health experiences within academia but before we do that i as i mentioned i i wanted to start, just ask a little bit about the pandemic because you know having a mental health podcast in the middle of a pandemic i just i feel like i need to ask this question of of how you are and you know given the pandemic and everything that's going on i know you're in india in delhi and i know the pandemic has impacted you know every individual and every country in very unique ways so you know are you com- if you're comfortable do you mind sharing sort of how you are given the current circumstances yeah actually the pandemic has affected all of us and it did affect me very deeply i finished my phd just sometime before a couple of months before the pandemic began and i was not able to get a job during the pandemic at least for the most of 2020 and After, even after i got my postdoc position it took me a very long time to join it and i was not able to support myself financially so it was a very difficult time for me however my supervisor my postdoc supervisor was super helpful and she has been given she has been giving me all the support that i could ask for and now that i have joined i'm really happy i hope the worst of the pandemic is behind us but again uh, you can't really be sure when it will affect which individual so we have to take precautions but i hope the worst is behind us yeah 
Yeah, I yeah, I hope so too. And um, yeah, I'm sorry to hear that you had so much trouble finding work, finishing your PhD just before the pandemic. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that, you know, yeah. the uncertainty around that that particular time. And I guess if anyone has been in that situation and wants to talk to Kartik, you know, more about that experience, um, you know, uh, we've mentioned he's available on Twitter and his Twitter handle will be in the episode description as well. So thank you for sharing that. And um, yeah, I'm really glad that you have found a supportive postdoc supervisor and, and feel like you're sort of in a good environment now. Yeah. So, but it wasn't always that way. So we will kind of take a step back, sort of back more to your PhD. And in the information that you shared with me prior to recording, you said that you struggled quite a lot with handling the stress of a PhD, which... I can absolutely relate to, all of us can, (laughs) Um, but it was in an environment where you weren't supported and you said or you acknowledged that while some advisors are brilliant, many of them don't try to understand their students and that can lead to an unhealthy relationship. And so you kind of wanted to focus today on, on speaking about poor relationships with academic faculty. So could you take us back? I know you said that you're PhD supervisor was okay and this was actually another faculty member that that you had the issues with do you mind sharing how you knew that person and and you know why it was necessary to work with them yeah so uh, as i mentioned my phd supervisor my phd trajectory is slightly different from what most undergo so my uh, when i chose my topic I was the first student of my PhD supervisor and he was not exactly in this area. I was not working in this area. So, uh, but he was quite supportive. He encouraged me to follow my own interests. And I did come up with a few ideas uh, about the PhD and he was willing to explore that. So it was a kind of new for both of us. It was a new field for both of us. And we decided that we'll achieve a a certain set of aims that we set for ourselves, though it was new for us. However, just to get better inputs, he introduced me to another faculty who was who was working on a similar area. And he just asked me to speak with that faculty just to get more insights into the subject. And I was happy to do, do that. And initially it proceeded well. And uh, it was challenging, no doubt. But I didn't really feel, uh, I was I was trying to do my best and somehow I was doing okay. But uh, as you know, research doesn't always progress in the way of land. There are a lot of setbacks and there are a lot of failures and you need an open mindset to address these issues. So it was not just about the research. I observed that uh, the faculty with whom I was working, not my PhD supervisor, but the person he had introduced me to, he had a, cert, uh, a strange personality. And he was good in his field, no doubt about it. But some aspects of his behavior were really bothering me. In the sense, he would just use a very rude tone sometimes. And he used to dominate a lot. If I came up with some idea that I expressed, sometimes he would just not encourage me or he would just dismiss it away. I didn't really pay much attention to it at first. But then later when I sat back and reflected on it, I realized that it was actually affecting me. If you come up with an idea and if it is a bad one, there is a way to actually let the student know without being mean to them. Uh, 
but that was not the case when i proposed the idea of course there are a lot of when we are starting out on our phd journey we have a lot to learn and we are not experts so it really uh, matters the kind of mentorship the kind of advice you receive and there were a lot of delays with many things with my papers with some of the experiments with proceeding forward and going ahead and the worst thing was my feedback didn't count for anything whenever i gave any feedback it was just dismissed and he used to speak in a very disparaging tone which was actually getting on my nerves but somehow i just put up with it and things came to a head one day when i just tried to explain to him that we can have a better relationship that we can actually uh, sit and discuss in a better way as to how we want our mentoring relationship to move forward and uh, for some reason he got extremely angry and he was just yelling at me at the top of his voice and that was very it was shocking for me his face was just a couple of inches away from my face oh, and wow that was i got the shock of my life yeah. actually i get along well with everyone i have not had issues with anyone with my teachers with my friends with with my family i i just get along very well with people but somehow with this person i could notice that the problem was from his side for whatever reasons i'm not judging him i'm just maybe he he suffered something emotionally himself mm-hmm. but it's wrong to just treat students that way especially when they are young when they don't have power when they don't have support and that broke me at that point of time mm-hmm. i just withdrew into a shell and i just lost all interest i gave up all my hobbies i was in a really dark place of my in my mind mentally and i just did what i could I, it was just plodding along at that point of time the same i continued with my experiments i did i continued my collaboration also with him i don't know why i did that but at that point of time i was not mentally in a place to understand many things and uh, after a couple of months this uh, sort of behavior behavior was repeated again and once it was in public he just yelled at the top of his voice and that's not okay and that was not for any other reason i just asked him about a few delays that were happening with my manuscripts and that's just that's just a normal thing which any phd student undergoes and they just talk with their supervisors and it's it's a very normal thing but when i just asked about my manuscript to him it somehow i don't know what triggered uh, him but he was just yelling and abusing uh, the kind of language that he used and the kind of treatment that he demonstrated on me it was very bad and i couldn't really take it and after that it was just a vicious cycle where for the next couple of months i used to just withdraw to my room just lock myself in my room and cry a lot uh, just no idea of how my phd is going to end how i'm going to get the degree i just wanted a release for myself uh, but i could not i spoke with my family and they were very supportive but they didn't really understand how academia work at that point of time and i'm very thankful to my parents for supporting me but i had no clue how to proceed forward with my phd situation and eventually it became so bad that i decided that's it i'm not going to tolerate this any longer and i actually lodged an official complaint with my university 
they appointed an ombudsman and they had a sort of meetings with both of us separately and i didn't know what came out of that but at least i didn't feel reassured they actually wanted to avoid the blame rather than solve the situation that's what i felt they did their best some of the people in the committee were helpful they at least they gave me a patient year but nothing came out of it there was no assurances from them that such sort of behavior will not happen again and then wonder of wonders after the meetings got over i came to know from a few other students that the same individual had behaved in a similar way to other people as well so it was not a problem which i had it was a problem that he had from his end and i feel the university should be should have been more strong in dealing with such behavior but somehow i think they gave him a warning but that's about it nothing came out of it i ended my collaboration and my guide was actually supportive at this point of time but eventually i worked out everything myself and i decided i'm going to take a brief break i went home for a while and being with my parents was actually the best thing at that point of time the, the uh, uh, my mom she gave me a lot of emotional support and that actually started my healing process i also understand that it's not always possible to go home and take a break especially if you are an international student in a different country and if you face financial difficulties it's not always possible uh, but for me somehow taking a break did wonders and i ended my collaboration and just with my guide's help uh, i was able to publish papers and finish my phd it was challenging no doubt but then i realized i was actually lucky in the sense that i was able to take a break and go home many students they are financially not well off if they are in a different country they may actually not have a family or they may be staying alone in which case it becomes even more difficult so it is very important to have a support network and when i look back i see just there are just so many things that are wrong with the academic power structure that it becomes really difficult so this was my experience i am very happy with what i have achieved i was able to publish quite a few papers but that's not my achievement in phd my real achievement is to actually sort of form a support network after this experience with some of my friends and to actually sit and discuss how we can support each other when we are going through a difficult phase and we actually made up a, a list of demands let us say and we actually passed it on to our university and at that point of time they didn't uh, really implement them but they did have a discussion as to how they will make the environment much better and much safer so i'm happy i was able to do that wow uh thank you for sharing i i know that would have been difficult to talk about yeah yeah but again as i said i feel happy at looking back in hindsight it's i'm happy at the lessons that i gained from that experience yeah and so there are a few things that came up that we'll definitely talk about i think in the next episode in terms of taking a break and um developing that support network because i think that's very important to share but yeah it just sounds like you know your your feedback wasn't valued and your ideas weren't valued which is demoralizing for for anyone and the fact that you tried to 
directly address that relationship. Like that's such a mature thing to do. And for a PhD student, you know, I, I don't know your age and I don't need to know, but, you know, there would obviously be an age differential. There's a power differential in that relationship. And so to actually come forward and try to address it directly with this person would have taken so much courage and and that was a healthy way to try to approach that situation so to have it blow up in your face so unexpectedly and to be attacked after trying to address it you know in a mature fashion I mean I, I was just thinking at the time when you were talking through that I absolutely would have shriveled into myself um after that experience and you know you said like totally understandable that you you dropped your hobbies and were having a very difficult time after that experience because anyone would in my opinion and and yeah I mean I I take your point absolutely about not wanting to judge that person and you know, my understanding of psychology now, I'm not qualified, but it does sound like it was, yeah, some of his own issues. And this is where training, and I actually um, think emotional intelligence training would be really beneficial for a lot of, you know, I think for PhD students, it would be great. Uh, And I mentioned it on Twitter the other day and another faculty member said, oh, I think supervisors need this too. And I do agree. Uh I think if it was given from early stages of training so that then those skills could be taken up, you know, into the higher levels, that would be great. But short term, I think honestly anyone within these very stressful environments, and I mean, not just in our industry, in other industries as well, I think emotional intelligence training would be would be very, very beneficial. I'm, I'm really happy to hear that you had support from your family. You know, I didn't really, but I was lucky to be able to get some financial assistance to get support from a therapist. So there are lots of different places to to go for that support. And I'm really glad that you had a, a supportive family. My point is exactly this. Some of us have a supportive family. Some of us may not have a family or uh, some of us may be living in a very distant place in a different country. But irrespective of what our circumstances are, we should get support just being students. We are students and every student needs to be supported emotionally, psychologically, financially. This sort of support is a must for every PhD student in every country of the world because the circumstances differ, the family family situations, the environment, everything is going to be different. But the support that we have, uh, if everyone has the required level of support, they will be able to overcome their challenges. At least it will be easier for them. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I mean, I, I know universities do have supports in place. They have, you know, wellbeing services and disability support services that we've spoken about in previous episodes. But whether, you know, those are visible to everyone, whether they're accessible to everyone and whether they have the desired impact, I think is potentially a question. Is that potentially questionable? And and that was the other point that I wanted to 
touch on was that, you know, you went through this official process of reporting this person, mm-hmm. but really didn't get, you know, much out of it. And that's something I actually only recently became aware of. Like I said, I, I'm very fortunate that I haven't had to go through that process, but this was discussed in the the Minds conference last year. So that was an international conference for mental health of academics. And it did come up that, you know, some people had tried to report some of their own experiences and it hadn't really gone anywhere or they had been asked to prove, you know, how, you know what they experienced. They, they weren't taken seriously. So it seems like, you know, there are, sort of policies and processes in place to help with bullying and harassment, but in practice, they're perhaps not functioning as they should? Yes, that was certainly my experience. And I've seen that more than addressing the issue, many universities, they just try to wash over the situation. They just try to avoid taking blame or avoid taking the responsibility because that would involve them to take action against the professor which they are not ready to do so the easy way out is to just uh, give an assurance to the student that it won't happen and just just sort of hope that it becomes a non issue but that's not what university should be doing they should realize that every student is a human being who needs love and care and they should actually provide support to every single student that should be the real aim and in case of any serious issues the right procedure should be followed it shouldn't just they shouldn't just blame the victim they shouldn't just try to sort of ignore the situation they should actually take concrete steps to ensure that such behavior never happens with anyone and everyone gets access to good support yeah, I absolutely agree. And and hopefully we will see some shifts in that area as well. And I guess we'll maybe talk about some of your suggested, you know, shifts in, in that area in the next episode as well. And, and again, you know, I'm just so sorry, you know, to hear that you had that experience and it really wasn't addressed in the best way. So the final question that I had was, Yeah, around the impact that this had on your research. So this faculty member was quite a strong knowledge support for this area of research that you and your supervisor, you know, didn't have a lot of knowledge in at the start of your PhD. And so this faculty member had been brought on board to provide that. So then when you had to end this collaboration because of that behavior, what kind of impact did that have on your research? Uh, So, uh, At that point, I was just happy to end the collaboration and it felt liberating by itself. But then I just came across in our area, there's a very good community called the uh, ISMET, International Society for Microbial Electrochemical Technologies. And I just came to know about this. And there were quite a few researchers uh, whom I contacted outside my country and they gave me lots of advice. It was just over email and just over a Skype session. But I was very happy for that opportunity where I could contact other members from my area. Some of them are really helpful. And that sort of gave me some support uh, professionally. And it took me uh, 
some time to uh, achieve all my research objectives but i was comfortable doing it in an atmosphere where i was feeling comfortable so that was the most important thing and eventually i did manage to complete my degree successfully with yes, yes. <laughs> congratulations <laughs> i know that cuz you're a postdoc now but yes <laughs> um, no but i'm i'm so glad that you know it didn't have a huge impact on your research and that you were able to find you know research support in other areas yeah. um that's that's really fantastic yeah so from what i have learned it's just that mentoring plays a huge role it doesn't matter what lab you are in what the resources are uh, they do matter to some extent but more important than that the uh, psychological support the emotional support empowering the student these sort of things are actually going to make a huge difference mm-hmm. uh, in anyone's project that's what i feel Mm-mm. Yeah, and I absolutely agree. And I think that's probably a, a nice positive note to end this episode on. And it really leads us nicely into some of the po- support systems that we'll talk about in the next episode. Is there anything you'd like to add before we wrap this one up? No, that's it from my side. Okay. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, like I said, after you shared a lot of your experience, you know, I I was a bit speechless for a minute um, because I just can't imagine having to go through that. And it breaks my heart that there's so many, not just students, but academic staff that deal with this on a day-to-day basis. So I really want to thank you for coming forward. I know it was difficult for you to talk about, but I know that there will be people that will be listening that will be so grateful to you for having helped them feel less alone and less like, you know, it's their fault because I know that's something that people can, you know, people can interpret it that way and also be able to see some of how you manage that situation. So I know our listeners will really appreciate it and and I do too. Yeah, thanks a lot. I'm really happy to uh, share my experiences on a platform where I feel supported where uh, which strives to make lives better for young researchers. So thanks a lot to Emily and your wonderful team. Thanks, Kartik. So if anyone listening would like to get in touch with Kartik um, and if anything he said has resonated with you, he's available on Twitter at Kartik's Air and he also writes a science blog. So you might be able to see some more of his writing uh, there. Uh, So that's kartikpsychom.blogspot.com forward slash and those links will be in the episode description. To you listening, as always, thanks for listening close to the end. Stick around for details on how to share your own story. And I look forward to having you back in a couple of weeks to hear the next part of Kartik's story. He'll talk us through how he learned to manage his mental health in, you know, quite a toxic environment. And also some of his suggested solutions to improve mentorship and supervision within academia. Bye for now. Before you go... We have some support resources and information for how you can share your own story. If this episode brought anything up for you, there are mental health resources and emergency numbers available for various countries at www.checkpointorg.com forward slash global. For information found in this episode, 
refer to the episode description or visit the podcast section of our website, www.voicesofacademia.com. There, you can also access the full transcript of this episode, made available by our lovely Voices of Academia team member, Daniel Ranson. This podcast was written, hosted, and produced by me, Emily, with support from some very special people in my life. You can find me on Twitter at eking underscore sci for science, but I'm part of the larger Voices of Academia team. We have a website, a Twitter account, at Academic Voices, and also share stories in blog form, with the option of them being anonymous. If you like this podcast and want to hear more stories, please leave a review, subscribe, tell me what you think on Twitter, and tell your friends. The podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major listening platforms. You can also follow the Voices of Academia blog and receive notifications of new posts by email. Just head to our website, www.voicesofacademia.com, to sign up. If you have a mental health or wellness story to share, we absolutely want to hear from you. Whether you're a team leader, research assistant, postdoc, student, ex-academic, or any other type of researcher. Follow at Academic Voices on Twitter, visit the link in the episode description, or visit our website, www.voicesofacademia.com, for details on how to share your story. It's time someone gave you a voice.